how we do it here is we look first at our legacy systems and our tools here. Can what we have here in our core solutions do what we need? You have to rule those out first. I mean, financially, you just can't like buy a best in class. You just can't do everything at once and then hope everything integrates. That creates a long-term maintenance and support challenge that you want to try to avoid. Welcome to the Big Unlock Podcast, your leading source for insights and best practices on the digital transformation of healthcare. Join host Patty Patmanaban, CEO of Demo Consulting and best-selling author of Healthcare Digital Transformation, how consumerism, technology, and pandemic are accelerating the future in conversation with healthcare and technology leaders. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. This is Patty, and it is my great privilege and honor to introduce my special guest today, Pamela Landis, Vice President of Digital Patient Engagement at Hackensack Meridian Health. Pamela, thank you so much for setting aside the time, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm kind of excited, and I'll be excited to see what kind of um, feedback we get from all your listeners I find that I learn as much from others as in sharing our our own story. Excellent. I am looking forward to the conversation as well. So why don't we dive into it? Maybe you could start by telling us a little bit about Hackensack Meridian Health and the populations you serve. So Hackensack Meridian Health is a relatively new company, if you think about it. It's the result of a merger of two mid-sized health systems in New Jersey. We are now the largest healthcare provider in the state of New Jersey, a really traditional looking health system where you have hospitals and physicians and other care entities all under one umbrella. We basically serve people from Northern New Jersey all the way down the beautiful coastline in South Jersey in the beaches. So from the beach to the North, you'll probably find a Hackensack Meridian Health property. There are 17 hospitals in our network right now, and we actually have a mix of private and employed physicians, and we have 9,000 physicians who are on our staffs. That's quite a large health system, actually, and it's obviously a very well-known and prominent name in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But thank you for that uh, background and context. So. As VP of Digital Patient Engagement, Pamela, how do you define your responsibilities and and who does the role report to? I report to our Chief Strategy Officer and our CIO here. And so it's a dual report. And when Hackensack Meridian Health created this role about a year and a half ago, I've only been here a year and a half. And I came here from Atrium Health and prior to that, Henry Ford Health System where I worked on digital engagement tools and services at those two fine health institutions. When I came here, Hackensack really wanted to say, basically, we know we've got a lot of work that we need to do and we need to bring together what we would call, I would call a digital ecosystem. So it's not just about websites. It's not just about mobile applications. It's not just about a patient portal, but it's all of those things. And it also includes what I call our contact management. And our contact management is more than just taking phone calls. Our contact management is how we 
engage with our patients and our consumers and our teammates in all forms of online and offline tools? And how do we build this ecosystem underneath so that when you contact us, whether it's through a website or through social media or through a form somewhere or even through a phone call, we know who you are, we know what your needs may be, and we understand how you want to be communicated with and um, what answers that we can provide you. And so that's basically what we've been building for the last year and a half. Some things around COVID have accelerated that process and some things around COVID have actually decelerated that process because you're so busy caring for a surge of COVID patients. Some things like, you know, you have to put on hold, but other things that you've been waiting to do get unleashed very, very quickly. Right. And it's often been told over the last several months that uh, what was expected to take five years has now been accomplished in something like five months, because that was a kind of urgency that uh, COVID-19 created for us. Mm -hmm. You described at a high level what uh, we would typically refer to as a digital front door strategy. So it's all of the above, right? Patient portals, it's about patient contact centers, it's really about digital patient engagement, which is right. how you, you define your role. It's how we do customer relationship management using modern tools and leading edge tools. And that's really where it's the crux of it. So there's foundationally, you have your EMR, you might have a CRM solution, you might have some business intelligence tools. You might have a patient portal. You might have call center technology. And those are some foundational pieces. And it's upon that, what my job is, is to knit those pieces together to make sure that the consumer experience is seamless. So it doesn't matter what doorway they come in, they understand it, it's intuitive, it's easy to use. It doesn't take, you know, us to do all kinds of education up front. It's just as consumer friendly as using Amazon. Nobody's there yet in healthcare. Right. Yeah, let's unpack that. Uh, healthcare, <laughs> as, as you alluded to, has traditionally been behind other sectors with regards to consumer engagement, digital consumer engagement in particular. The Amazon experience is not there yet in healthcare. And one might see this as the opportunity, really, to up the game in many ways. And you talked about uh, all of the foundational pieces, the CRM platform, the EHR platform, call center technology, and others. And then, of course, there's a lot of new solutions that are available to really create these best-in-class experiences that would create the sort of seamless consumer experience that you referred to. So how do you approach this? How do you approach the creation of this experience and how do you approach it from a technology standpoint? I know it's a two-part question, but yeah. maybe walk us through one program where you really transform the experience uh, and talk us through this. Yeah. So, you know what? I go back to that whole thing when people say, oh, healthcare is behind. It is and it isn't. And so I've been doing some of this work since um, 1995. And when we would say, oh, we need to build a website to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to cost X amount of dollars. Our leadership, my leadership would say to me, and all the institutions I've worked with over the years would say, wow, that's a lot of money. And so I go back to like, 
What healthcare did in the late 90s and early aughts was they were really investing their capital in foundational solutions, revenue cycle, EMR, but also clinical tools. Proton beam therapy is expensive. Robots are expensive. And so when you, we would come and say, we need to do a digital patient solution and it's gonna cost $500,000, an executive might look at that and say, and I could get some new 128-bit imaging slicers into my hospitals for that amount of money, or I can hire four more nurses for that. Those were hard decisions to make. And so a lot of times what healthcare was doing was investing in some of that foundational infrastructure, true things that they could put their hands and wrap around and understand that they needed right away. And so I give healthcare a big break on that and saying, oh, they're behind. Well, we're behind, but we, in terms of a digital solution for patients, but we made very strategic decisions that we were going to invest in people and cutting edge technology to deliver world-class care. Those were hard, you know, those are hard discussions to have. So you have to really make your case. I think though, in the last 10 years though, what we have seen is an embrace at the executive level that healthcare and the model of healthcare is changing in a way that we have to now start addressing patient needs in a more front-facing way, in a different way than we have previously. So mm -hmm. that's what we are starting to see is the understanding among executives who said, yeah, I get it because I'm using these tools too and I want to know why my health system isn't as easy to use as an Amazon or another tool. They get that now. They look at the financial services industry who have made a really successful pivot into digital tools. They're saying healthcare leaders across the country are saying we need to do the same thing. So now the work and the, the emphasis is going into that transformation now. And But it's going to take a while because we still have really important legacy tools that we need to optimize to be able to handle the digital patient engagement journey. In that context, uh, you have, to your point, the legacy investments in some of the core platforms like your EHR system, for instance. Exactly. Now you are transforming the enterprise into more of a digitally enabled organization that uh, can serve patients, serve patients in a, in a very digitally enabled way. And so that requires a whole different set of perspectives on technology choices. So when you look at transforming the patient experience, how do you, from a technology standpoint, do you start with your legacy platforms and you look at what's available and then roll it out and make the most of it? Or do you say, no, wait a minute, I'm gonna look at what's best in class out there and then I'll back into what I think is the right solution for our, our enterprise. How do you approach this? Yeah, so how we do it here is we look first at our legacy systems and our tools here. Can what we have here in our core solutions do what we need? You have to rule those out first. I mean, financially, you just can't like buy a best in class. You just can't do everything at once and then hope everything integrates. That creates a long-term maintenance and support challenge that you want to try to avoid. So the first thing you got to do that we do, and I say is, for instance, here at Packensack, can Epic do this? Can Oracle do this? Can Google do this? And if they can't, then it's time to say, okay, 
Are there wraparound services and tools that can integrate easily and have API services available to integrate to an Epic or an Oracle or a Google Cloud platform? So I look at those things first. And so I try, I look at the, our core solutions. Then we say, okay, if they can't meet it, are there companies that have relationships with those core solutions that have done the integrations? And if not that, then I go to the, the best in class. Let me pr probe that just a little bit further. Now, let's say you've got some native features in Epic mm -hmm. and they will do the job for you. But at the same time, you know that there are other tools out in the market for those same features that will plug and play easily with Epic and have a superior interface or a superior oh. set of features. What do you do then? Yeah. And that actually, that happens a lot more often than people probably understand. There might be, you do see much more elegant solutions in that third-party market. And you have to prioritize which one's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck. Can you live with the way Epic Open Scheduling works today? Or do you need a layer on top of it from a company like Kairos? And I think that those are individual business decisions that have to be made, understanding what you're trying to achieve, what your goal is. Can you live with the 80-20 rule? Or do you have to say, you know what, this one is so important, we actually have to go outside. And that is a great example, actually, that you just mentioned. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that when you look at all the digital engagement touch points that are available to you, you could probably come across several in that category where you have an elegant solution that performs better than a native feature in your uh, EHR platform. Mm -hmm. Now, let me switch to the back end of the, uh, of the technology infrastructure. All the front end experiences that you described can work well, work seamlessly, only if you have a robust back end. And that means that you've got to have your uh, you know, data centers, your, your cloud policies, your uh, land-wide infrastructure, your wireless infrastructure, all of the above. And you mentioned that your role has a dual reporting to the CIO as well as the chief strategy officer. So I imagine you get very involved in a lot of these back-end transformational initiatives that are going to help you deliver the kind of experiences that you seek to deliver. Can you talk a little bit about what are the top two or three things that you think are absolutely critical, table stakes, for you to be able to deliver the experience you seek to deliver. Yeah, so I will tell you in the time, so as we're recording this, we're doing our vaccination rollout and we're doing it online vaccination scheduling. And so we knew that we were gonna get hit hard on our websites. And so we right at the front end engaged our partners in this, in this case, it was AWS and Epic and our data center folks to say, okay, we're gonna get some traffic that we've never seen before. And quite frankly, all through COVID, we've seen traffic to our external websites at a rate that is unparalleled. So let me give you one example. This time last year, we were getting about 350,000 visitors a month to our website. And now I'm doing about 3 million consistently. Wow. Um, and we knew that. And we so we like we started scaling up and we made sure that our back end was able to handle the load, handle the load. On this vaccination scheduling, we actually understood 
that engaged with Epic to make sure that we had as much horsepower to handle all of that as possible. And there are moments during the day when you're trying to schedule an appointment, when you get basically the busy signal on the server. You don't get it often, but you do get it. I'll tell you one example. A week ago Friday, we opened up scheduling at our mega site at the Meadowlands. And we opened up slots for people to make appointments. And we're working with the state of New Jersey and the New Jersey State Police and the National Guard who are helping us staff that site, but we're managing and operating that site and using our scheduling tools. So we had 35,000 people schedule within four hours. It's a lot of traffic to our servers in that time. And it went fast. And so, but we, the site performed, we were ready for it. We were monitoring it during the whole time, but every single slot was taken within four hours. And so it's always about planning and thinking, oh, well, I'll just double it. Well, you probably need to triple it or quadruple it. When you think that you've got enough, you probably don't, and you're going to need more in these particular use cases. I mean, and I think that they're, they're extraordinary and off the charts for a while, but that's what we've learned over the last year. Oh, that is such an interesting anecdote here. Pamela, eight months ago, everyone was talking about having to deal with the 10x and 15x increases in telehealth visits uh-huh. and what kind of challenges they were they represented for IT executives trying to scale up the infrastructure to make sure that you know, the line doesn't drop, you're able to log in, you have high quality video, and so on. And now mm-hmm. we are talking about vaccines. So it's a very interesting change in tone, if you will, from talking about dealing with uh, COVID-19 related virtual visits and now talking about vaccines. And uh, I imagine that through these experiences, the ability to scale and also the potential for emerging technologies, specifically cloud, since you mentioned AWS, to help scale and do it in a way that uh, you're able to meet the expectations of your constituents. I think that's a fantastic anecdote. So switching back to the digital front doors and switching back to digital patient engagement, you've been here for about a year and a half, but you've been doing this longer. So Mm -hmm. just looking at your hack and sack experience, what does your data tell you about the adoption levels for digital engagement tools among your patient population? And what do you sense are the change in consumer preferences today? Yeah, so here's one piece of data. We saw our MyChart usage um, in terms of activation. You know, you always want to have people use MyChart as much as possible, but we were not unlike many health systems across the country where we weren't, you know, adoption wasn't as high as we wanted to be. In the year of COVID, we increased our MyChart activation 68%. And that was without doing one iota of marketing. How does that benchmark with uh, best-in-class in in your view? So I would say that we are probably, we were under best-in-class. We were probably in the bottom quartile of health systems around the country. When I look at some of the best ones around the country, like a Kaiser or somebody that has very high adoption rates or a Providence St. Joseph's out there in Seattle. And I would say we're probably right there in the the top quartile now. We're not best-in-class, but we're getting there. 
Well, that's significant improvement. And if you think about it, Patty, we didn't tell anybody about it. It was just consumer demand drove it. And that's where I think that we have a lot of learnings that have come out of this. People are now ready. They get it. They're ready. Another anecdote was don't ignore some of your, you know, less sexy, but still important um, tools like your phone lines. During this vaccine, when we started doing vaccinations, one of our phone lines, one just one small example, one phone line would normally get about 150 calls a day. And it was like, you know, to find a doctor and we want to, you know, hook people up to the right doctor in their area. That phone line went from 150 calls a day, it's now running 14,000 calls a day. The demand there around healthcare services is exploding. And it's basically about the vaccine. Our challenge will be is how do we keep and capture those people after people are vaccinated? How do we make sure that they stay with us to stay in care, that we start not only just vaccinating them, but caring for them through their, through their life? How much of a role does the profile of the population that you serve play in the adoption rates? And even within New Jersey, do you see differences between one part of your area versus another? Yeah. So where I'm seeing the difference is, if we're out thinking about the digital divide, here are two areas that I worry about in the digital divide. And I don't have great answers, and I would love for someone to give me the great answer. How do we help people where English is a second language, where they're not native English speakers. Too much of our work is still in English only. And that worries me and quite frankly, pains me in some ways. And the other one is for those that are 75 and older, where digital adoption is lower than in other age groups. It's still pretty decent but it's not where it needs to be. And when I think about the people who are most at risk having serious complications from COVID, it is people 75 and older, and it is people from minority communities and people of color. I need to make sure that when we build these systems, we address those needs too. It's interesting you bring that up. Uh, one of my recent guests on this podcast is the CIO of uh, Health System in Southern California, that serves Medicaid populations mm-hmm. and mostly uh, Latin Latin communities. Right. And there, one of the things that you mentioned was very uh, relevant in their context, which is the bilingual capability to mm-hmm. whenever you turn on a digital solution. And of course, uh, the one thing that uh, in their case they had to deal with was because they were serving a low-income population, they had to really make some of their digital solutions backward compatible with earlier generations of devices. And oh, this is something, sure. mm-hmm. And this was something that was uh, counterintuitive to me. You know, maybe we are on the latest version of iPhone, many of us, mm-hmm. but their population is on, on versions that are two or three or even earlier generations. To make healthcare inclusive for them, one of the big things about the digital divide is to make sure that the solutions reach everyone and not just certain parts of the public. That's what I heard uh, from that conversation. I- it sounds like that's what you're saying too. Yeah, I am seeing the same thing. And, you know, a lot of folks say to us, and I like look at the data in the state of New Jersey, they, they assume that those uh, people of color or other groups don't have access. They might not have broadband laptop access in their homes, but they certainly have phones. And here's the other sensitivity. We need to be sensitive about 
how much we're using in terms of their data plans. And I need to make sure that whatever we deliver is as efficient as possible so that we're not sucking down a lot out of their data plans. Yeah, that's another very, very important uh, consideration as well. Mm -hmm. You worked at Atrium Health, you mentioned, and prior to that with Henry Ford Health System. And so my guess is you've seen a lot of best practices from your peer group health systems, both by virtue of your own experience, uh, but also through your network in your community. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about what you're seeing as some of the best practices, maybe one or two best practices that you would like to share with uh, my listeners and maybe one from your own experience? Yeah, I think that a lot of groups are doing some things really, really well. So I would go back to, I, I look back at my former coworkers at Atrium Health. I think some of the work that they're doing there around the vaccine and getting it out to, you know, they just had a big, huge event at Charlotte Motor Speedway and it inoculated 16,000 people. It, that just brought smiles to my face. I mean, I was smiling all day for them seeing the work that they were doing there and how they were, they had really figured out the efficient way to manage those folks through such a large operational endeavor. Um, kudos to them for doing that work. I think that there are some folks across the country who have taken different approaches to it. Some of uh, my colleagues around the country, their health systems are inoculating only, for instance, their own healthcare workers and a small cohort of patients. I'm really proud of Hackensack Meridian Health. We said, not only are we gonna do our own healthcare workers, but we're gonna start servicing the public too. It is hard work to take on that piece too. And there are days and nights when I think, what were we thinking that we would be able to do all of this? And then there are days like today when I'm really proud of the work that we're doing, getting as many shots in arms as possible, not just for ourselves and not just for our own patients, but also for the, the communities we serve at large. That's so wonderful. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Well, Pam, we are at the end of our time here. And uh, I guess we'll uh, have to leave it at that for today. But I'm fascinated by all of the anecdotes that you've shared. And thank you so much for setting aside the time. I look forward to staying in touch with you. Yeah, thank you, Patty. I've enjoyed this. Have a great day. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can reach us at info at with your feedback and questions. This podcast is brought to you with the support of our partner, Powbox. Secure email for modern healthcare right out of the box.